turned my on, myself on this time. I appreciate having the opportunity to speak in front of you again today. Apparently last time I didn't do anything wrong, so I was invited back. Either that or I, was, I did everything wrong and I, I'm getting a second chance at this. On the cover, just in case you're wondering, the scene is John baptizing Jesus. Okay? Sometimes we think of um, Peter walking on water, or so it was pointed out to me this morning. Just thought I'd clear that one up. Today we're going to talk about doubt. In fact, before we get started, why don't we all just uh, raise our hands here. How many people who here has doubted something at some point in your life? Oh man, we got this on the first try. I had it all planned to raise our hands again to make sure that everyone would admit that we doubted something at some point. You see, doubts happen to everyone. And, and when doubts happen, it forces our faith to evolve. In fact, that's the gist of my sermon. So should we do the benediction and uh, we'll get an early nap and an early lunch? You'll all love me forever. Okay, we're not going to do that. But doubts, they, they happen to us every day in all of our lives. And, and some of the doubts that we come across are big, humongous doubts. Doubts that question our very beliefs in existence. For example, does, does God really exist? You know, does God really exist because there's so much pain and suffering and death and sin in this world? How does God really exist? When there are the mass shootings in Oregon, or I was telling some people this morning, the day before the, the mass shooting in Oregon just this last week, there was a shooting in Harrisburg, South Dakota. And that one strikes home to me because my sister and my uh, two nieces were in that school during that time. They're okay, but, but there's all this pain and suffering everywhere. How can God exist? Or does Jesus Christ really exist? Did he really die and rise again for the forgiveness of my sins so that I can spend eternity with him? You know, most scholars believe that he at least existed 2,000 years ago, that he was a poor carpenter who had some pretty radical views that shook the world back then and continue to shake the world today. But eternal? Son of God? I've based my whole life on this fact. Everything in my past, everything in my present, everything that I'm doing to move forward in the future is based on the fact that I believe that Jesus Christ exists. And yet when I take a step back to look at my life and all my sins and all my, my fallibleness <laughs> and all my humanness, I have to ask myself, do I actually really believe that Jesus exists? Because what I believe and sometimes what I do don't always connect. And yet, with all these, these doubts, with all these events swirling around in our heads, does God exist? Does Jesus Christ exist? Is he really the Son of God? The only thing that I can think to say in this moment and in this time is from Psalm 42. Why are you in such despair, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Because doubts happen. And they're tricky. They're tricky, you know. They sneak up on us with such ferocity and with, with such force that it leaves us questioning what we actually believe. You know, in this space, I've shared in a, a video testimony how I came to Christ. But I want to retell you that story in, uh, here because there's some things that I left out. When I came to Christ when I was 12 years old, I was the result of reading a book called 
Little Pilgrim's Progress. Okay, Little Pilgrim's Progress is a children's rewrite of the book Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. And I'm glad it was a rewrite because even now I can barely understand the these and thous in Pilgrim's Progress. In that book, little Christian goes along this journey of the Christian life. And he meets people and figures that personify Christian concepts. So, for example, he meets someone named Humility that is personifying everything about humility. Okay, and he reaches the end of his journey. And as soon as I got done with that book, I closed it, put it down on my nightstand, and I went to sleep. Well, that night I had a very vivid dream, a dream that I still remember today. I had a dream that I was going along that same journey. Now, admittedly, it was a dream, so Elvis Presley was there. And um, Rockadoodle, has anyone seen the Rockadoodle movie? Old movie, it's, uh, there we go, I got one. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so both of them were in my dream. And I'm going along the same journey, and I reach the end, and I have only to cross a bridge to reach eternal life. Just a bridge. And on the other side, my family is all waving me over. They're saying, come on over, Jesse. And, and my grandma's even there. She's, she's no longer with us, but she was waving me over. All of them were Christians. So I'm like, okay, let's do this. So I start to cross this bridge. And right in the middle of it, a trap door opens, and I fall through. My picture of my family and a bright sun were replaced by utter darkness, flames reaching from the floor up to the ceiling. And I heard this, this laugh, this hideous, gruesome laugh that I remember from when a play that I had seen not too long ago called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Fires. It was the devil's laugh. And I was scared. I was so scared because I knew where I was and I knew what I had done wrong. And I remember I remember in my dreaming, unconscious mind, crying out to God, saying, God, give me one more chance. One more chance, and I'll do exactly what you wanted me to do. I want to accept your love. I want to show your love to others. I want to pursue you. Give me one more chance. The next thing I know, I'm coming up out of water like, um, like Little Mermaid in... in the little the Ariel, Little Mermaid, you know, she comes up and her hair whips back in the water. Now, I see some of you smirking. You have to imagine this. I'm growing too fast for my hair. <laughs> I see y'all smirking out there. Okay. So I come up and the light is shining. I'm coming up out of water and I breathe almost for the first time. It's like, <gasps> and I knew I'd been given a second chance. And I go through that same journey one more time. And this time I'm able to cross safely. That morning, I wake up, I get down on the side of my bed, and I commit my life to Christ. I was so excited. And then I go and I tell my parents, and they were excited, and they brought me to Dairy Queen. So I was even more excited. We went to Dairy Queen. We got this blizzard with a, what was it? It was a chocolate chip blizzard with M&Ms and Oreos added in. I half remember the story because of that. And I remember telling them this whole story, everything about the Pilgrim's Progress, everything about my dream, and in the middle of it, I started to doubt it. I started to doubt if I was truly serious about coming to Christ. I doubted if I said the right words or if I even prayed the right prayer. Now, a little disclaimer, I wasn't doubting it because of that blizzard. That blizzard would have just made me, you know, confirm more. But doubts happen, and we're never truly the same when they do because it forces us to look for answers, and it forces us to evolve our faith. This leads to our text for today. Let's turn to Matthew 11. 
1 to 6. I read out of the NIV this morning. I'm going to read out of a different version this ne- right now, but it'll correlate. Now, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to preach and proclaim his message in their cities. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. I'm going to hammer this in. Doubts happen and they're nothing new. We all experience them. In fact, they've been around since the beginning of time. Not even the scriptures that we hold dear are immune to doubts. In fact, let's just trace it through the scriptures for just a second. Do you know what the very first question asked in the Bible is? It occurs in Genesis 3. Did God really say... Fast forward to Job. In Job, God is on his throne and Satan comes before him, says, I've been roaming back and forth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He is faithful. He's reliable. He's righteous. He's the guy. And Satan stands back and goes, isn't it because you've been protecting him? Isn't it because you've been blessing him? You see how Satan is casting doubts onto this? And then we go to Daniel, the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny for your VeggieTale fans, are before Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, if God is able to do so, he will save us. And if he is not able to do so, we will still not bow and worship. If God, if God is able to do so? Put a peg in that one. We're going to come back to that one later. Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to finish up this survey of the Bible quick. Matthew chapter 4. Satan, the first two temptations of Satan is, if you are the Son of God, make these stones into breads. If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down. Continues to cast out. And we end in Revelation, the very last chapter of Revelation, where it talks about the coming of Christ and how we can all, you know, doubt that Christ is coming back. Four times, you can count them, go and look at it. Four times in that very last chapter, it says, surely I am coming soon. Of course I'm coming soon. I am coming soon. You can bet your life I am coming soon. Four times we're reassured that Christ will come again. It's interwoven throughout the entire Bible. And so we come to Matthew chapter 11. And John asks Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another? Now this question is a lot bigger than we think because John was there not that long ago baptizing Jesus. Jesus came to John and John says, no, I'm not, supposed to be ba- I'm, I'm not supposed to baptize you. You're supposed to baptize me. You've got this reversed. But he finally relents and he baptizes Jesus. And as soon as he does, the heavens open up, the Spirit of God descends, and a voice booms, this is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. John was a very witness to that. Imagine if that happened here. Heavens open up. The roof of First Baptist Church is taken off. Don't worry, we're insured. And the Spirit of God descends and a voice booms. I mean, that would just be so amazing. And John was right there. And yet, not that long afterwards, he asked Jesus, 
are you the one who is to come, or is there another? How can John doubt this? How can he doubt something that is made so clear? But if we're honest with ourselves, we also doubt things. We also doubt something that was so crystal clear one moment and not so clear the next moment. I mean, for me, um, I was going to pursue Jesus, and then the next, I wasn't so sure. I mean, it was a dream that I was basing my whole life on, and I doubted. I'm like, am I really going to base my whole life on this dream? And again, doubts are tricky. They creep in unnoticed and surround us so that we can't see beyond them. They enclose us. They trap us. They make us not see anything outside of our situation. It's like getting caught in in an avalanche. One moment we're on a mountain, and everything is pristine and clear. The air is crisp. It's great. And then all of a sudden, snow comes, takes us over, We're caught head over heels, and when we finally stop, we don't know which way is up, which way is down. We can't see anything outside of it. We are alone with our thoughts. Not even light can get in. John was in that exact same situation, almost quite literally. Replace snow with prison and the threat of imminent death, and we're sitting where John sat, asking the exact same question. Is Jesus really the one? Doubts happen, and when they do, our faith is forced to evolve because of them. Because we have to look for answers. We have to find answers to our doubts, to the questions that are burning inside of us, in our very souls. We have to find answers. And in the process of looking, our faith is strengthened. John could not see outside of his situation. He could not see an end. He had accepted a simple answer when he baptized Jesus. He had accepted that Jesus is the one. And there's nothing wrong with simple answers. Simple answers are always good because they're still answers. And for time, we can always accept them. But sometimes, a lot of the time, most of the time, all of the time, we're always asked to go deeper, asked to look for something more. What we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we know, what we experience, all this information is coming at us at all times. And at all times, we're being asked to either look at it and bring it into our faith or to do something with it. No longer can we look at something as valid. We have to look for something deeper, something more. I took you through the Bible. Let me just do that one more time. Genesis 3, we were introduced that there was something more than simple obedience. In Job, we were introduced that there's something more than simply being reliable and faithful. In Daniel, there's something more than God simply just doing things for us. And now, John, there is something more than a miraculous event that happened. No longer can... John accept things at face value. No longer can we accept things at face value. And when doubts creep in, we can no longer accept simple answers either. John doubted. But why did John doubt? Verse 2 says, When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing. Or in the NIV version, what? Oh, it says Messiah as well. 
People in that culture and in this time had a very specific belief about what the Messiah would be. The Messiah would be a physical king who brought in a physical kingdom. So when reports started reaching John's ears of what the Messiah was doing, Jesus wasn't being who Jesus was supposed to be. The Messiah wasn't doing what the Messiah was supposed to do. See, before John could sit back, he had met the Messiah, he had baptized the Messiah, and he's kind of related to the Messiah. He's in prison, but his belief is sitting there and saying, I'm okay. He'll get his kingdom in, he'll, he'll get me out of jail, and I will be at his right hand. Everything's looking pretty good for me, you know, I'll just relax in this, in this spa almost. But then the reports come. Jesus is, is calling random people to be his disciples. He's healing other random people. And he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Imagine being where John sat. The Messiah wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And the reality of his situation is starting to crash in. He was supporting this guy. His whole life and ministry was for this guy. And all of a sudden, it's not sounding like he was supporting the right person. All of a sudden, he's in prison with the threat of imminent death. Everything in his life is being called into question. And so his very honest question to Jesus was, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? Does God really exist? Is Jesus really the one? And you know, I've been focusing on doubts that just deal with our faith. What about, did I buy the right car? Am I with the right person? Am I in the right school or school district that I should be in? Am I pursuing the correct job? Apple or PC, car or motorcycle, peanut butter sandwich or steak, ankle socks or tube socks, glasses or contacts, pen or pencil, Jesus or not. You see how all these questions come up at all times? Do we doubt that avalanche was the correct metaphor to use anymore? Wouldn't it be nice if just once we got one answer, one answer that we could rely on and trust in, but all too often we find that God is silent. But you know, I want to say one thing. 99.999 to the trillionth 9% of the times, if you have a doubt, look in the scriptures. Look for answers. Search for them. If you have a doubt, ask your friends and family, people that you trust. If you have a doubt, there's even, there's even reports, medical reports, saying that there might be a chemical imbalance in the brain. And a pill will restore that chemical balance and restore, you won't doubt anymore. There's 99.9 to the trillionth, 9% of the times, there are tons of answers. And this time, in this space, I want to talk about the point oh oh. Oh, to the trillionth, oh, one percent of the time when there are no answers. That might be shocking. I mean, we're supposed to always have answers. The Bible should always have answers for us. But that's not what is highlighted in this very scripture. When John asked Jesus if he was the one, Jesus responds back with a very important scripture. He references Isaiah 61. He says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. But you know what he leaves out? To proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. 
John would have picked up on that, especially in his current situation. Jesus responds back, I am the Messiah, but I'm not going to answer what you want answered. And then he goes a step further. He goes, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Or in another version, blessed is anyone who does not fall away on account of me. John receives an answer that tells him that his situation won't be corrected. And then it is followed with, can you still believe in me anyways? Pardon my Minnesotan, but oofta. What are we supposed to do with that? You see, doubts happen, but faith evolves. Let's bring some of, it, some of our earlier doubts in. There are billions and billions and billions of people in this world with which we could have a relationship with. Can we still stay with our husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, our significant other, even when we don't have answers to our doubts? There are thousands and thousands of school districts and universities, probably in Tennessee alone. Can we still stay in the one we're in, even if we don't get an answer to our doubts? There are multiple jobs that we're all qualified for. Can we still stay in the one that we're called to, even when we don't get answers to our doubts? So many philosophies and religions and scientific fact and information coming at us from every angle at every day. Can we still believe in Christ even when we don't get answers to our doubts? I've shared in this space my testimony about coming to Christ. And you know what? I still doubt it sometimes. Sometimes I still don't know if I was really going to base everything on a dream. But do you know what I do every single time I come up to doubt it? I ignore it. I know, it's a simple answer, and I'm, this whole time I'm telling you about deeper answers, but for this time, I'm telling you that I ignore it. Because it's deeper than you think. You see, I don't just ignore it for ignorance's sake. I don't just hide behind my faith can't handle this, or I'm just going to accept this on faith. I ignore it because I realized some time ago that we need to know what is important, and we need to keep it important. And we need to know what's not important and let it let it have wiggle room. Let's bring that thing in that I told you to put a peg in. Rack, Shack, and Benny are before Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, if God is able to do so, he'll save us. And if he is not, then we still won't bow. See, Rack, Shack, and Benny didn't have any reason to believe that God would save them. They didn't have any reason at all. They were just captured from Israel where God was supposed to protect them. And that temple where God was living was destroyed in front of their eyes. They had no reason to believe that God would save them. And yet they came in front of Nebuchadnezzar and they said, we will still believe in God no matter what. It wasn't important that God saved them. It wasn't important whatsoever to them. To them, what was important was God and worshiping God alone, not this, not this golden image. They were feet away from a blazing furnace, and they said we would choose that rather than go back on believing in God. They kept what was important as important. Even in this video, this video you could watch, and it could be a fun time, and you could take this video a few different ways, but for their purposes here, the sheep was taken away. The whole world was stripped away from this sheep. 
its fur coat was, or its wool was everything to that sheep, and it was taken away. And it just sat there. It didn't know what to do anymore. And then that jackalope came along and said, this is what's important. Not this, not this wool coat, not what your friends think. He showed him what was important, and he t- told him to keep it as important. So one way that I do this is that I've made a list, and I continually keep up this list. I make a list of what is important to me and things that I can have wiggle room on. One of the things on this list is my belief that I am going to pursue Christ, that I am a Christian, that I am saved. That's item number one. That thing I'm not going to budge on. Even, Even if all facts point me one other way, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Because what is important to me is that I know that I am pursuing Christ. I can trust my 15 to 20-year-old younger mini-me who went through that situation, who lived and breathed that situation and was so confident I can trust 15 to 20-year-old younger me. Also on my list is my call into ministry. God being God, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, the Holy Spirit being alive and well today. I will not budge on these things. You can walk on water with those beliefs. Being with Katie is on that list. Being where I am right now is on that list. We need to make what is important as important, and we need to keep it that way. So to wrap up this time, doubts happen, and when they do, it makes our faith evolve because we need to search for answers. But know that sometimes we're not going to find those answers, even though we really, really want to. And remember Jesus' words, Blessed is anyone who does not fall away on account of me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, sometimes we doubt. Lord, there are so many situations in this world that make us want to doubt, to, to change our mind about what we were previously believing. Lord, our loved ones are hurting. Lord, our loved ones are dying. There's illnesses in the world. Lord, there's death and sin. Lord, sometimes these just lead us to doubt. But Lord, we know that you're telling us that we're not alone in this that we can still trust in you even if we don't get the answers that we are seeking. So Lord, we commit, we commit our lives to continually seek you even in the midst of our doubts, even in the midst of our situations that we can't see out of. Lord, we sang this song, our hope is built on nothing less than you. Even in the midst of our storms, even in the midst of of our situations, Lord, you are calling us to believe in you, and we want to commit our lives to you. So, Lord, guide us as we approach this altar. Lord, we want to lay our doubts at your feet. Lord, we want to go to people when we have doubts because we know that there's most likely someone who's already engaged this question, and we won't know until we go up and talk to people. Lord, we don't need to be alone in our doubts. John had his disciples. He had his disciples. They were with him before he sent them to Jesus. 
Lord, let us come to other people. Let us go to your scripture to search for answers and to know that even if we don't get our answers, we can still believe in you. In your name we pray. Amen. So this time is a time for you to come to the altar and lay your doubts before God. We all have them, so no one's going to be surprised if we come forward. To close, though, I want to talk about a man named Horatio Spafford. Some of you might recognize the name. In the 1800s, he and his wife and his four children lived in Chicago, and they were financially ruined when the Chicago, Great Chicago Fire happened. And so they decided to go to England, but he had to stay behind, and he had to get some business done before he left. So he sent his wife and daughters ahead of him. Well, on that trip, the boat that his wife and his daughters were on collided with another boat. In 10 minutes, that boat sank. He knew that it happened, but he didn't know any of the details. He didn't even know if his wife and daughters were alive. His whole world was stripped away in that one moment. A few days later, his wife made it to England and sent back a telegram. And it began, saved alone, what shall I do? All four daughters lost. Come quickly. And so he got on a boat, and he headed to England as quick as he could. And on the way, the captain calls him up to the bridge. And so he goes up to the bridge, and the captain says, This is where your four daughters were lost at sea. And in the midst of that anxiety, when every reason was given to him to doubt God, he sat down and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul. In the midst of stripping his world away, he kept what was important. He kept God and his belief in God as important. So let's stand and let's sing and let's respond during this time.